0: much, Nick. What a good song. I appreciated listening to the words carefully as he sang them. God is who he is. That's just the way it is. Amen? Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would like you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 18 through 22. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 18 through 22. I want to thank Pastor Ron for doing a great job of preaching, I understand, while I was on vacation the last couple of weeks, and now we come back to our study of Second Peter. I want to mention something before we get into our text. Many of us, maybe not all of us, have spent the last two weeks listening to a lot of speeches on TV at the two political conventions. We heard a lot about what was wrong with both sides. And there are two very different ideas about our country, about where we're headed, about what our vision ought to be. And in doing a lot of reading over these last couple of weeks, I am sensing that there's a lot of fear in our country. There's a lot of fear about what's going to happen in the future, in the days, months, and years to come. And I just very briefly want to say that tonight, I'm going, excuse me, to touch on that in my message tonight. I want to share with you why we do not need to be afraid. As Christians, we do not need to be afraid no matter what happens, no matter whom is elected, we do not need to be afraid. And we have everything to look forward to because of our joy and hope in Christ. So I just wanted to mention that briefly. This morning we are going to look at the fifth message on false teachers from 2 Peter chapter 2. This will be my fifth message just on this chapter and this will be the final message on the subject of false teachers. Next week we will move into chapter 3. And as I have gone through this some of you, and I've tried to mention this a number of times, this seems like a very negative chapter. And as I prepared for 2 Peter, as I mentioned to you before, I found it very interesting that there is, there's all kinds of material out there on 1 Peter, but not so much with 2 Peter. And I went to some websites of, of godly men whom I, I admire greatly and looked at like their sermon series. And many of them, many of them have never done a sermon series on 2 Peter, at least not that's been recorded or is on their website. And part of me understands that. There's a lot of negative, harsh things said here, but I really believe this is an important study for us, an important issue to look at. And so. Peter continues in verses 18 through 22, and he says, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Well, our first point this morning is the gospel of freedom. That's really what this message is about. The attempt of false teachers to corrupt the great and glorious gospel of freedom. When you receive Jesus Christ into your life, when you invite him to be your personal Lord and Savior your life is transformed by the gospel of freedom. When you invite Jesus Christ into your life, when you receive him as your personal Lord and Savior, you enter into this great gospel of freedom. You are set free. You are set free from eternal damnation and eternal punishment. You are set free from the guilt of your sin. You are set free from your enslavement to sin and Satan. You are set free from the fear of death. You are set free, praise God, from the fear of man. You are set free to know God and to walk with God and to know the fullness of the joy that is found in him alone. But I want you to know something this morning. All of you as my brothers and sisters in Christ... I want you to know that Satan wants to use false teachers and false teaching to cause you to think like a slave and live like a slave. False teachers want to take away your freedom in Christ. Satan wants to do everything to keep you from experiencing your freedom in Christ. Satan wants to take away the joy of the Lord in your life. When Nehemiah was talking to the people of his time, he said, do not grieve. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you know what it is. Our joy in Christ is what keeps us going. Our joy in Christ is the strength that is the foundation of our whole Christian life. Satan wants you to live in constant guilt and fear. Satan wants you to live in shame because of your past. He wants to keep Beating you up with the shame and guilt from your past. Causing you to have a hard time ever believing that God could forgive what you've done. That God could forgive where you've been. Satan wants you to think that there is something more you need to do to be saved. He wants you to think there is something more you need to do to be acceptable to God. He doesn't want you to trust in the assurance and security of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He wants you to think there must be something more. I must not be doing something right. There must be something more that I need to do. You know, in late June and early July, we had three precious people from our congregation go home to be with the Lord. Elma Davis, Paul Halstead, and Don Jones. Three weeks in a row. And if you were able to attend any or all of those funeral services, you know that those families, they grieved, they mourned, they shed tears. Oh, but there was so much more than that. They rejoiced in the fact that their loved one knew Jesus Christ as Savior. They rejoiced in the fact that their loved one is now home with the Lord. They rejoiced that someday, because of Christ, they are going to be with them again. They are going to see them again in glory. And so there was great rejoicing in the midst of the sorrow and mourning. And I want you to know, false teachers want to take that away from you. Satan wants to take that away from you. You know what Satan wants you to do? He wants you to get your eyes off Christ and to get your eyes on you and your circumstances. He wants you to be upset with how bad you've got it, and how bad your circumstances are, and to get your eyes completely off the hope and strength and guidance of Christ. I have said a number of times in this series that false teachers pervert, distort, and replace the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has paid it all. He has completely accomplished our salvation. He offers it to us as a free gift to be received. There's nothing we need to do except receive it as a free gift and false teachers do everything they can to corrupt and distort that gospel. This is a very serious issue. False teachers want to keep you from believing and receiving the gospel message. Well, our second point this morning is false promises and false Christians. False teachers are often gifted and persuasive speakers who love to prey upon vulnerable people. We touched on this a few weeks back and Peter touches on it again. Very, very important thing. You need to know that these false teachers are not giving boring lectures. They're usually very gifted in oratory. They are usually filled with charisma. And they want to use that to persuade you. In verse 18 it says, For speaking loud boasts of folly. Loud boasts of folly, that phrase means that they want to make it appear to you that they are very philosophical, that they have all kinds of academic intellectual learning. And it is often the case where false teachers will claim to have direct revelation from God, that they've heard something from God that no one else has heard, so you need to listen to them and you need to follow them. History is filled. With such people, especially the history of the church. If you love history, you will know well that it is said that Adolf Hitler was a spellbinding speaker. That the German people would go to hear him speak and they would walk away whipped up into a frenzy. Ready to do whatever he wanted them to do. I think of Jim Jones. Many of you are familiar, maybe not all of you, with Jim Jones, the pastor, leader of the People's Temple back in the 1960s and 70s. And the People's Temple started out in Indiana, and then it moved to San Francisco as a church. Then it became a full-blown cult led by Jim Jones. Then he took his entire movement down to Guyana, and created Jonestown, Guyana, in South America. And eventually, in 1978, he led over 900 people to commit suicide after having one of our congressmen killed when they came down to do an investigation along with a number of other people. Let me tell you something, Jim Jones was a powerful speaker. At one time, Jim Jones was the pastor of an evangelical church it used to be called the People's Temple, Full Gospel Christian Church. He was a pastor in a church. and He was a powerful speaker, but eventually leading people, not only astray, but to their deaths. Peter says, speaking loud boasts of folly says they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They entice those who are barely escaping from those who live in error, and they do it by sensual passions of the flesh. You know what false teachers like to do? They like to say, this is what you need to do. Here are 10 things that only I know, and you need to do them, and you need to follow them, and if you do, all your troubles will be taken care of. See, they don't appeal to the Holy Spirit. They don't appeal to the Holy Word of God. They appeal to their man-made rules that only they know, and they persuasively lead people to believe that they somehow have the truth, and they need to follow them. We saw this a few weeks back in verse 14. If you want to go up in the chapter just a little bit, second sentence, verse 14, second sentence, powerful little sentence. They entice unsteady souls. They entice unsteady souls. There are three major groups of people. There may be more than just three, but there are at least three major groups of people that false teachers love to prey upon. First, they love to pray upon those who are not grounded. And I shared this with you before, but I think it's worth going over again. They pray upon those who are not grounded in the faith, those who don't know their Bibles well, those who do not have never been trained in the essential truths of the Christian faith. They love to pray upon those people. And that's why it is so important for a church like ours to disciple and to preach and to teach at every single level of our church, from the smallest ages of our children to our oldest adults. We need to disciple and we need to preach and we need to teach the essential truths of the Word of God. Secondly, they love to pray upon those who are weak or wounded. Somebody's been through a tragedy, Somebody's going through a serious, very real bout of depression or discouragement. Maybe they've had some kind of financial collapse. Maybe their marriage has fallen apart. Or maybe they've been wounded. Maybe they were wounded by a pastor. Maybe they were wounded by a church, me- Excuse me, a church member. Maybe they were wounded in a business deal. Maybe they got ripped off. Maybe someone treated them totally unjustly and unfairly. And so they become angry and they become disillusioned. And I'm telling you, they become prey for false teachers. That may describe you this morning as you sit among us. Maybe you've been through some really difficult, difficult, harsh, real-life circumstances. And I just want to plead with you this morning and say be careful who you listen to and be careful what you read. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful what you read when you're in that kind of state of mind. There's a third group that they tend to prey on, and that's those who are intellectual doubters. I've touched on this a number of times, very important. Sometimes our intellect becomes our God, and we begin to think we're a little too intelligent to believe the things of the Bible. And we begin to wonder if the Bible's really true. Can I really believe the teachings of Jesus? Can I really believe the miracles as they're described in the Bible? Can I really believe there is a heaven and a hell? And that may describe some of you this morning. There are two kinds of doubt. There's a legitimate doubt or some things I don't just I just don't understand. They're a passage of scripture. And it drives me to the word of God. That's a healthy doubt. When we seek answers from the word of God. But there is a skeptical doubt. A skeptical doubt that begins to question. Who God is and what God has proclaimed about himself. That exalts myself. To the highest point of humanity, I become the judge over all things, even over God himself. Interesting. Another false teacher, again, extreme example, but think of David Koresh from the 1980s, early 90s, leading the cult of the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, who were eventually confronted by government agents, and there was, if you remember, a shootout. Uh, a long, prolonged battle over their headquarters and eventually it was burned to the ground and 80 people died. Again, David Koresh was a spellbinding speaker, a great orator. He was someone who was accused of all kinds of manipulation and inappropriate sexual behavior. And yet he had these faithful And I remember years ago, it was probably back in the 90s, and I read a study about them and shared it in a sermon, and I want to share it with you again. Where they did a study, sociologists and psychologists fascinated by what would cause people to be followers of a man like this, of a religion like this. And they expected to find that most of these people were uneducated people, just kind of gullible for that kind of thing. And what they found out was actually just the opposite. They found out that most of the followers of David Koresh, not all of them, but a, a, a large group of them, were physicians and attorneys and nurses and educators, very well educated people who had become disillusioned with life, had followed the path where their own intellect led them and found it to be emptiness and disillusionment, and were searching for something more. False teachers love to pray upon vulnerable people. And in verse 19 it says they promised them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. False teachers will promise you a better life. They will promise to take away your problems. False teachers also tend to To take little bits of the gospel and corrupt it. They will say, Yes, there is forgiveness in Christ. So you can really live any way you want to live. You want to engage in premarital sex. You want to engage in extramarital sex. You want to indulge in pornography. It's okay because you're forgiven. Because you're forgiven. If you want to manipulate someone, you want to cheat someone, and it helps you to get ahead in life, it's okay because you're forgiven. And so they take the gospel of freedom and turn it into a gospel of slavery. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Whatever overcomes a person that he is, is enslaved to. In Galatians 5.13, the Apostle Paul says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not, watch this, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You are free, but you're not free to live any way you want to live, to indulge your passions and fleshly desires. You're free to love one another. You're free to care for one another. You are free to voluntarily, wholeheartedly obey every commandment in the Word of God and to follow Christ and to love Christ and to desire to be a disciple of his in every area of your life. That's True freedom. True freedom is to let Christ be your master and Lord in every area of life. Let me say it again. False teachers want to rob you of your freedom in Christ. Well, as Peter comes to the end of chapter 2, he makes the bold claim that these Christian teachers are not Christians at all. Very important for us this morning. This is kind of a frightening thing but a very real thing and something that we need to talk about from time to time. Verses 20 through 22 really form a whole unit here. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better, notice this, it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness, than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. Evidently these teachers are familiar with the teachings of the Bible. And they have made some kind of outward profession of faith. They know enough about the Bible. They know enough about Christian lingo, about Christian talk, where they become accepted within the church. And at one time, they were in the church. They were with those who believe the gospel. And they have even found temporary refuge or shelter and refuge in the church. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it may be that they came into the church because they wanted to get away from crime and corruption and the bad things of the world, so they came into the church. Let me give you a good example of this. Every once in a while I I find people who are very attracted to Mormonism. And you know why they're attracted to it? Because they will look at Mormons and say, you know what? They seem to have nice marriages. They seem to have nice kids. They seem to live pretty clean lives. I I think that's something I want. And folks, we've got to be careful with this. Because sometimes people come to a church like ours for the same reason. They say, you know, it seems like you guys got pretty good marriages. You seem to be clean-caught people. I think I'd like to be part of that But some people can come for that reason and never really repent of their sin and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Never really understand their need for the gospel, their own brokenness and sinfulness and need for a Savior. And it appears these false teachers may have been something like that. But here's the fact these people were in the church. Even teaching in the church. But they weren't saved. They weren't genuinely born again. A verse I've shared with you a number of times in this series, and one you just need to hang on to for the rest of your Christian life, is 1 John 2.19. This is what John says about false teachers. They went out from us. They went out from us But they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Folks, I want you to know that no matter what curriculum we use in children's and adult Sunday school, no matter how well we do Awana, no matter how well we do Christ Cadets, no matter how well we do adult curriculum, From time to time, there will be people who leave us and who leave the faith. It happens in every church. Let me say that again. It happens in every church. Because there are people who are among us who are not genuinely born again. Do not be surprised when it happens. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Now watch this: if, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, the evidence of your salvation is that you will continue on in the Christian faith. The evidence of true salvation is that you will continue on faithfully in the Christian faith. In theology we call this the perseverance of the saints. True saints will always persevere to the end. They will not abandon the truth, they will not abandon the church, and that is how you know them. We looked at in 1 Peter chapter, or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. You know what it means? Make sure you're saved. Make sure that you are born again. Because it is possible, folks, it is possible to belong to a Bible-believing church and not be saved, despite our best efforts. Pastor Chad mentioned that we've got a group of our teens and leaders going on a missions trip with the Center for Student Mission in Detroit. And we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray that they have an effective and productive week of ministry for the Lord. But did you know it's possible to go on a Christian missions trip and not be saved? Did you know it's possible to be a deacon and not be saved? Did you know it's possible to be a Sunday school teacher and not be saved? And yes... Yes, it's possible to be a pastor and not be saved. Three weeks ago, on the morning of July 10th, I shared with you some very specific examples of men in the ministry from both liberal and conservative denominations who at some point in their ministry doubted and denied the faith itself and stayed in the ministry and stayed in the ministry because they needed the job and they needed the money. It happens. Let me just give you one name. Settles this whole thing that it does happen. Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. He walked with Jesus. He talked to Jesus. He touched Jesus. He was part of Jesus' in intimate circle of of the twelve. And I believe that Judas Iscariot was never saved and walked away from it all, proving that he had never been a true follower of Christ. Let me give you one of the scariest passages in all the Bible. Actually, I think the scariest passage is the great white throne judgment at the end of the book of Revelation. This comes in second for me. Matthew 7, verses 22 through 23. is what Jesus says about the judgment at the end of time. Listen carefully, folks. On that day, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I want you to notice that first phrase. On that day, many will say to me. It's amazing. I I love the Bible just because I, I don't care how many times I read a verse, something new strikes me almost every time. It doesn't say on that day, a few will say to me. Did you notice that? It doesn't say on that day a few will say to me. It says on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Lord, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I did mighty works. Can also be translated miracles. I did mighty works in your name. And Jesus is going to say to them, I never knew you. Just think of the parable of the wheat and the tares, also known as the wheat and the weeds. The farmer goes out and he sows the wheat. The farmer represents God. He sows the wheat, but the enemy comes representing Satan. And he sows tares or weeds. And they grow up together. The wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds grow up together. And the workers want to go out and harvest the wheat. The farmer says, no, wait till the harvest at the end of time. Because in pulling up the wheat or the tares, you may also pull up the wheat. You know why he said that? It means you can't tell the difference. With the human eye, you can't tell the difference. The wheat and the tares are in the same church, growing up together. And with a human eye, you can't always tell the difference. In verse 21, it says it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. This is a consistent theme, a whole separate sermon in itself. It is better to have never known the gospel. It is better to have never heard the gospel than to hear it, understand it, and then turn away from it and walk away from it. In 2010, I did a whole series of messages on heaven and hell. And when I did that series on hell, I shared with you that I believe based on the teaching of the New Testament, there are going to be degrees of punishment in hell. Now, trust me, you don't want to be at any level of hell. You don't want to be at any level. But some people are going to be punished even more severely than others. And every indication is those who knew the truth clearly and rejected it will suffer greater punishment in hell than those who never had a chance to hear or rarely ever heard of it. Matthew 11, 21 through 22. Jesus, Jesus says this. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now watch this. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Jesus did miracles in Chorazin and in Bethsaida. Tyre and Sidon were pagan cities of the ancient world that were punished by God because of their pagan beliefs and because of their abuse of Israel. He says, I want you to know something. I've been here. I've done miracles and mighty works among you and you have rejected me. It's going to be worse for you. Than it will be for them. I don't have it on the screen, but he goes on to say to Capernaum, if the mighty works of you, done in you, had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Now get this, he says to Capernaum, it's going to be worse for you in the judgment than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. For if we go on sinning after deliberately receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. So in verse 22 he says what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. He uses two animals to illustrate this. One is a dog. This is not your common house pet dog that we are familiar with today. These are the wild dogs who roamed around in Israel. They are dogs that ate the garbage at the garbage dumps. And if even your house pet dog eats some garbage, you know what they tend to do? Throw it up, usually on your carpet. You know, usually somewhere where you've got to clean it up. But that helps you to understand what he's saying here. The dog returns to its own vomit. They're a wild dog. They're going to do what wild dogs do. They're not only going to throw up, they're going to eat what they've thrown up. And the pig, the sow, after washing herself, you can wash her up, you can make her look pretty, but she's going to wallow in the mud all over again. That old saying, you've probably heard it many times, you can put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. It's exactly what Peter's saying here. Really, that's exactly what he's saying here. You can dress up the pig all you want. You can wash the pig all you want, but you haven't changed its essential nature. It's still a pig, and it's going to wallow in the mire. Folks, let me tell you something very important. All false teachers will eventually fall away. All false teachers will eventually expose who they really are because their true nature has not been changed by the gospel. But why we are warned is, in the meantime, before that happens, sometimes they are among us, and sometimes they are even teaching among us. Well, our third and final point is three important lessons. We'll close with this. I just want to go back over. this powerful passage of Scripture as you read it over and over again. Number one, false teachers can be very persuasive, and they love to prey upon vulnerable people. And I say to you again, if you are weak and wounded right now, if you are an intellectual doubter here today, be very, very careful who you listen to and what you read. Number two, it is possible to be a member of a Bible-teaching church and not be saved. Make sure. Oh, we're talking about the difference between heaven and hell. Make sure you're saved. Maybe you've grown up in this church. Maybe you've grown up in a wonderful family, but, you're, have, but you have real serious doubts about your salvation. You need to get that right. You talk to someone about that. There's nothing wrong with making sure of your salvation. Let me say that a hundred times. There is nothing wrong with making sure you're saved, making sure you're born again. Number three. True freedom can only be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ in his saving gospel. We must not allow anyone or anything to ever pervert or distort the true gospel of the Bible, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, because only in Christ will you ever, ever find true forgiveness and true freedom. Let me go over with you again. You. In Christ are set free from eternal damnation and punishment. You are free, praise God, you are free from the guilt and shame of your sin. You are set free from your enslavement to sin and Satan. You are set free from the fear of death. You are set free from the fear of man. You are set free to know God and to walk with God and to know the fullness of joy that can only come from Christ himself. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 36, Jesus said this, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There is only one person in all the universe who can set you free, and that is Jesus himself. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us to be on the alert always for false teachers and false teaching whether it's on the television set or in a book or being persuaded by some person we know who's a follower of someone we've never heard of oh lord protect us and help us as a church to proclaim and hold fast to the glorious gospel of jesus christ